At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. If you would stay standing for the text that we're gonna spend our time in today, Romans chapter six, right flowing along with what we've been singing and talking about today. This is what the apostle Paul writes. Now, if we have died with Christ, We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, as your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the cross of Christ. The picture of grace that has transformed millions upon millions of souls, has the power of salvation for all who believe. So Father, as we reflect upon the gospel, the good news of salvation today, speak to our hearts now. Give us eyes to see, we need to see. Give us ears to hear, we need to hear from you. Father, we pray for Pastor Chris as he preaches this morning at Woodside, Detroit, for all of our campuses today. Father, we're so grateful for what you are doing, not just in this church, but in your church, the light of the world around the world for your glory. We're grateful to be called sons and daughters through your son, through his work. Speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's great to be with you today. My name is Stephen Zarelli, one of the pastors here at Woodside, and so thankful to be preaching this wonderful text from Romans chapter 6 as we continue in our series, Newish. If you could turn in your Bibles there with me, that would be wonderful. Uh, it's a big week in the Zarelli household. Uh, it's my wedding anniversary, my birthday, my daughter's birthday, all in a matter of five days. So it's been A ton of fun just kind of celebrating and having a great week together and looking back at pictures and remembering things. It's been 18 years since I was married to Katie. Uh, Here within this church, different building, same church. And as we were reflecting upon that day and that time, looking back at some of those pictures, I remember seeing some pictures of our fifth wedding anniversary where we went vacationing with some friends in the Caribbean. And we thought it would be fun while we were there to sign up for a deep sea fishing excursion. It took a while for the boat to make its way through a series of channels and through a harbor before we got out into the open sea. And for a while, it was all great fun. And I was all smiles as the ocean turned from turquoise to 
dark blue, and the view of the land grew smaller and smaller as the boat went out deeper and deeper. But I quickly learned something that I did not know prior to stepping onto that boat. Did you know there are six types of ship motion? Actually, six different ways a boat shifts in the water. Not seven, which being a pastor, it's a biblical number. If you're around church, it usually means completeness or perfection. But there's only six ways, which means imperfection. And it's sometimes associated with evil. And that is exactly what started happening in my stomach the moment we got into deeper waters. My stomach quickly learned that a boat can pitch it can roll, it can yaw, it can sway, it can serve, uh, I'm sorry, surge. And do you know that a boat, technical term, can actually also heave? That's a nautical, like, technical term, that the boat can heave. Heaving describes the up and down motion of the boat as it's lifted to the crest of a swell and then drops down into the trough between the, cell, uh, between the swells and All I'll say is that the boat wasn't the only thing heaving regularly for the next several hours. And the worst part was I couldn't do a thing about it. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't get off. I couldn't make it stop. I was helpless. I was powerless. I had zero control over the evil that had now mastered me. The craziest thing was that I actually signed up for this whole thing. I was the sucker who said, let me pay you hundreds of dollars to pay a guide to take me out into the ocean just so I could then feed the fish instead of catching the fish. I wanted to go. Uh, Let me suggest to you that this describes how so many Christians live out their lives. Thinking about the passage that we just read discussing sin and its dominion, And it's previous dominion in us. Sometimes as Christians, we get caught on a ride of sin that might seem like great fun for a moment, but then it turns into something that's completely out of our control. We just go up and down and back and forth, experiencing failure and victory and victory and failure and feeling shame and then grace and then grace and then shame and up and down and back and forth. And we can barely see the land on the horizon. We feel helpless, powerless to make it stop. We are made for land, but we're stuck at sea. And maybe you've signed up to get on that boat and paid for a ride that is taking your life straight into an ocean of chaos. If you're apart from Christ, this is the disposition the reality of humanity. In Christ, we still struggle with this reality of humanity. And in Romans 6, the Apostle Paul is reminding followers of Jesus that sin is a power that seeks to master you. But Romans is a powerful declaration of the gospel and its message of good news, of hope, and of salvation. And we are reminded that if we are in Christ, then sin has no jurisdiction over your life. You have a new captain, a new master, Jesus Christ. He's already brought you out of chaos and brought you back into harbor. Sin has been defeated for the dictator, the tormentor, the oppressor that it is. But even defeated foes try to launch guerrilla counterattacks. And that's what sin does in the life of the Christian relentlessly. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we are assaulted 
by this power, by this evil. So here's what we want to answer today from these particular verses as we continue on this journey. How do we escape the assault of sin? How do we escape the assault of sin? Paul gives us three answers in the text here. Here's the first. We must know that Christ will never die again. That's part of the solution. That's part of the escape. Look back at verse 8, and we'll walk through these verses together. He writes, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now Paul is continuing to work out the implications of this new covenant union that we have with Christ through faith. And he begins by saying, now if we have died with Christ, how and when did we die with Christ? Well, this is what we talked about last week. It actually references this back in verse 3, that we died with Christ in baptism. If you're part of this uh, church family, I encourage you, don't miss a week. This letter is so critical, so foundational to the gospel itself. And the argument that Paul lays out and all the things that he's saying, they build on one another, ultimately until we come to this chapter 8, which we'll get to in a few months. And you don't want to miss any of this. And we read and talked through last week, Pastor Chris did, where it says in verse 3, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, baptism is a picture. We talked about this last week as well. It's an act of obedience to the Father. It's following the pattern of the Son that now makes sense to us because the Spirit has opened up our eyes to see that we were dead in our sin, we were buried in a spiritual tomb, and we have been raised to new life through faith. Baptism is this picture, this spiritual reality that once we have put our faith in Jesus, this is what has happened within us on a very real level, in a very real sense. Not when we were infants. Let me just talk about that for a moment. So much of church history has confused this concept and this act of obedience to the Father, imitation to the Son, empowered by the Spirit, the triune God all engaged in this moment of baptism. But baptism itself is not that moment of salvation. It's a picture of salvation. It's a first act of obedience. Not meant to be practiced with infants, but when we were made or when we personally made that conscious decision to put Jesus on the throne of our lives as Lord and Savior. Once that conscious decision has been made, then we follow in this way, in this pattern. If you have been saved through Christ but have not demonstrated your faith in baptism, as he commanded in Matthew 28, then the question for you is, what are you waiting for? It's time. It's time. What we find is a biblical pattern where there's immediacy. Somebody comes to salvation in Jesus, and then they're immediately baptized to represent that salvation. Uh, sometimes in our lives today, there's a gap between that moment of faith and that act of obedience. And sometimes we even have family heritage and history that confuses us in our thinking, and yet it's that conscious decision that we personally make that then we are celebrating. And last week, we had many individuals 
who went through the waters of baptism, and as a result of that message that Pastor Chris shared and the testimony of those brothers and sisters, it was, it was awesome after service last week, there was a 69-year-old man, a 74-year-old man, and an 87-year-old woman with multiple back surgeries who all said, it's time. They all said, sign me up, it's time. I've waited long enough, and so we just need to ask that question of one another. Turn to your neighbor this morning and just say, is it time? Is it time? Is it time for you? If you have not yet followed this command of Christ, is it time? This isn't something to fight about. This this isn't meant to fill you with anxiety or, or cause family drama. Baptism is a joyful act celebrating the work of God being done in our hearts through Jesus Christ and his spirit. And it's a wonderful occasion where we proclaim to the earth the very essence of this whole letter. Baptism puts the key verse of this whole letter into real time and space when Paul writes in chapter 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's what we do in baptism. We stand and say, I'm not ashamed. This is who Jesus is to me. This is what he's done in me. This is what he's doing in me. This is what he wants to do through me. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we died with him, and because we died with him, verse 8, and we'll walk through these verses here in the next few moments, we believe that we will also live with him. So as a follower of Christ, right now, life in him has not always been, if I'm being honest, an active belief animating my day-to-day life. I don't always walk in obedience. And by the way, if you're feeling prompted by the Spirit and you want to take that first step of obedience, take your communication card, just check baptism. If you're on the chat, put baptism in the chat if you're watching online, and we would love to have that conversation with you. Uh, But we don't always have this animation of Jesus in obedience walking through our lives. It's not always a representation of our lives even after we've come to faith. My old life sometimes still occupies way too much of my mental and emotional space. But Paul says, we believe that we will also live with him. The gospel is powerful because it changes our thought patterns when it changes our thought patterns. It actually has to do that work. In verse nine, he says something similar. He says, we know, there again is this word of knowledge. What do we know? That Christ will never die again and death no longer has dominion over him. How do we know? Because he was raised from the dead because of the resurrection. So Adam introduced sin and death into the world and we know that no nation, no corporation, no person can do anything about those two realities, death and sin. But Christ, he's a different story. He is alive and he will never die again. Why? Verse 10, for death, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Now the ultimate weapon sin has is death. So Jesus died to pay the penalty of sin, but death could only hold him for three days. Jesus, who is life, overcame death with life. All that sin could take from Jesus was one death. That is all. That is it. Done and over no more. The creator of life will never again be subjected to death. So it says the life he lives, that he will eternally live, he lives to God. 
Life, then, is more powerful than death, just as God is more powerful than sin. And the amazing thing about all this teaching that Paul is giving us here is he did all of this for us. He did all of this for you and me, which is our next point. So how do we escape the assault of sin? We must remember, we must know that Christ died for our sin and will never die again. And secondly, count yourself dead to sin. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's our reality. This is our reality right now. Paul says this reality makes all the difference. Consider this. We are dead to sin. If you are in Christ, you are right now dead to sin. Alive to God. If you do not train your mind to believe these things, to know these things, to love these things, your union with Christ will do you little good. Imagine, for example, if you're always struggling to pay your bills. And some of you are like, I don't have to imagine. That's life. And imagine you're always having to choose between treating yourself to a nice meal this week or in more desperate situations, maybe even getting a tank of gas for your car. Now imagine you're always carrying around as a result of that financial anxiety. And yet all along there was this trust fund for $5 million in your name, but you didn't know about it. So the money's yours, but it does you no good. Why? Because you don't know about it. So the point is, listen carefully here. If the glorious riches that are ours in Christ are going to make a difference in our lives, we have to know about them and believe in their sufficiency. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to pretend that our old self is kind of gone and and we know all the while that it's still kind of alive and well. So we kind of, kind of have this myth play out in our minds. The old nature has died, and yet I know perfectly well that it really hasn't. That won't help, friends. That way of thinking, it doesn't help us with this assault. We must know and believe our former self did actually die with Christ. It's not a myth. It's not make-believe. The people we were before Christ, it's gone. The power of sin in our lives, it's gone. We are dead to sin. We were dead to God. Now in Christ, we are alive to God and dead to sin. Why do we have such a hard time with this? Well, because it's always assaulting us. It's relentless. But we must remember and know and believe that our former self did die with Christ. Now, that made me think of my wife, Katie. She came down with COVID last Christmas. Christmas. And by God's grace, uh, she managed well. She recovered well. I know the story, of course, is much, much more tragic for so many. But pre-COVID, her kryptonite in our house when it came to food was stovetop popcorn. So that was her kryptonite. So... What she loved more than any other snack, more than any other chocolate, was stovetop 
popcorn. And so probably two or three times a week, I would hear these kernels once the kids were in bed. They're going into a pan full of oil. The pop starts, and she'll do her thing. And I, I'm not joking, probably two, three, sometimes four or five, you know? No judgment, just, just our reality. So the popcorn would start to, start to boil up, and it would start to pop, and there'd be this whole giant bowl that she'd make. And usually the bowl wouldn't even make its way over to me for like 10 minutes. She'd just... She'd make it and then she'd just stand there and just eat it and eat it and eat it. And she, she loved popcorn. That was her favorite thing. It would, it would happen so often. And, and yet post-COVID, something happened to her. Of course, many people lose their sense of taste and smell. She did. It took many months for it to return. And when it returned, corn of any kind, any type of corn, any corn at all in anything became repulsive to her. Absolutely repulsive. So if you bring out cornbread, if you do some of that popcorn right now, she'll be like, it smells like smelly feet. I don't know why, it just does. It's disgusting, it's abhorrent, I get it. It's a gross picture, but it's, it's true. That's just how it is now. The, the taste was no longer something she desired, it became something she despised. The point is the sweet taste of the gospel is opposed to the flavor of the world. Your sense of smell and taste aren't just altered a little bit when you come to Jesus Christ. They are destroyed completely and rebuilt, recreated new. And the thing that smells sweetest to you now is the presence of Christ. And now that smell, that taste of the world, it becomes repulsive abhorrent, disgusting to you. Let me make a distinction here. Paul is not talking about positive thinking. He's not saying, if I think that something is true, then I can make it real. No, it's not this positive thinking kind of mentality. I'm just gonna will my brain into believing some reality, um, even though... Uh, it's putting all the effort on ourselves. It's not that way at all. He's talking about gospel thinking, and here's how gospel thinking works differently. Uh, gospel thinking says, this is true, therefore think it, believe it, know it, and act upon it. Act like it. This used to be sweet to me. It is no longer sweet. It is abhorrent. This used to be something that I had no desire for, and now it's all I crave. I just want Jesus. I just want intimacy in his presence. The answer, the answer to this is absolutely not to walk out the doors today and say, okay, I'll just go be better. Uh, I'll just go perform better. That's, that's all wrong. In Christ, Jesus becomes our aim, our end, our telos, our everything. And when our end is transformed from myself to my Savior, there are things that I used to love that now are repulsive. Sin changes flavor. Hear me, Christian. Just let it soak into your soul today. If you are in Christ, you are dead to sin. You're dead to it. Therefore, consider yourself dead to it and act like it. Which leads to our last point this morning. How do we escape this assault of sin? Finally, we must present ourselves to God. Present yourself to God. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So sin was king. We obeyed his voice. His desires were our desires. But sin is no longer the king in your kingdom. His desires have been replaced with new ones. His voice with a new one. His throne with a new one. This is something that we call this process of movement. Is something we call, it's a fancy word in Christianity that we call sanctification. Sanctification means it's this word that talks about how our lives change over time to imitate more and more the holiness of Jesus. That we pattern our lives more and more after his as time goes on, as the Holy Spirit of God does his work in our hearts, as we embrace his teachings more and more, being apprenticed by him. Here's how I like to think about it. Being dead to sin and alive in Christ is the process of God becoming my greatest desire. That nothing else that I see, nothing else that I touch, nothing else that I smell, nothing else that I desire would ever overwhelm that desire that I have for Jesus. That he becomes my greatest desire. Is he your greatest desire? Sin's reign is literally, Paul says, dead. You might try to revive him, but he is powerless in you. He is lifeless in you. Now, verse 13, it helps us see that sin does its handiwork, surprise, surprise, through our bodies. So sin uses the members of your body as weapons. What are the members of our body? Your brain, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your sexual organs. Paul says, do not present your members to sin as instruments. It's a word used in warfare for a weapon of war or a tool. So the point is the members of our body can be turned into weapons or instruments for unrighteousness. But they can also be, through Christ, turned into weapons or instruments for righteousness, depending on whether you're serving sin or God. Is our bodies being used for tools or instruments of unrighteousness or of righteousness through Christ? And here's the thing. You and I get to decide what type of weapons the parts of our bodies will become. Paul doesn't say this is easy, but he does say this is a decision that we make. If it was easy, he wouldn't have needed to give us the command. If it was impossible and beyond our control, and sin is so powerful that we have no control over it, if it still had life in us, then he wouldn't have needed to give us this command. But in Christ, we are free to make a choice. You decide who your members serve, sin or God. Sin is a power that hates me. Sin uses the members of my body to enslave me. And in Christ, I get to decide whether and what parts of my body I will surrender to sin's rule. Let's take one example. We could talk about so many. Let's just take one example. Maybe maybe the struggle is drinking. Maybe it's alcoholism. Maybe it's just the that thought of losing yourself into alcohol. Under the reign of sin, a person surrenders the members of his or her body in the process of getting drunk. They would use their feet to go to the store, their hands to get a hold of the bottle, and their lips to drink it. And the outcome is drunkenness, a loss of control, anger, sometimes much, much worse, even death. Why is the person doing this? What's What's the desire? What's what's the angle? What's the appetite for? Well, maybe it's the feeling of just escape. 
Maybe it's relaxation, maybe it's less anxiety, but ultimately I think they're after peace. I think they're after peace. They want peace, which is a good thing, but they're going about it by surrendering their body, their members, to sin rather than God. Now, Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So what Paul is saying in Ephesians is, the Spirit of God can give you the effects you're seeking from wine. So they would present the members of their body for righteousness. Now, instead of using their feet to go to the store, maybe that means they use their feet to go to the park with a friend. Maybe they use their hands not to pick up a bottle but to give someone a hug. Maybe they use their mouth not to drink but to offer encouragement. What's the desire here? It can still be the same. It's still potentially relaxation and helping reduce anxiety and ultimately trying to find peace. But the outcome under the spirit of God is good, not evil. See how this works? We could talk about our careers and ambitions. We could talk about sex and intimacy. The point is that if your end is yourself, if your own desires, your own independent life away from God is your aim in life, then you will be tossed to and fro by the chaos of the seas, eventually heaving over the side of the boat until you lose sight of land altogether. If your end is Christ and you choose to depend on him, to depend on him through community, he gave us one another, to depend on him through prayer, he gave us communion with him, to depend on him in his word, to hear from him, to be taught by him, to be challenged by him, to receive his grace. If that is our end, then you will find the life he's already given to you. And that's exactly where Paul goes in verse 14 as we wrap up this section of scripture this morning. It says, for sin then, through this way, when Jesus becomes your aim, when you put off the things of the world, when you overcome this dead foe, sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Man, what good news. That I am under the gracious hand of God, not the law of God. Sometimes we let the sins of our past reign in our lives as if they still had power over us today. For some of you, that's still a journey. For many of us, that's a continued assault. That those sins that we had in the past, they reign over us. They're continuing to have dominion over us. And it adjusts the way we even think about God. It's like when we think about God, it reminds me of a story that just happened with my daughter a few weeks ago. It's like sin distorts our thinking. And, and all of a sudden, God's character starts shifting. And we feel the weight of the dominion of that sin. Eliza, who turned nine this week, she uh, was signed up for a ballet class and they had to cancel the class because there wasn't enough kids. And so we called the, the organization and said, can she join another class? And they said, well, the only class that's there is one that's a performance class. It's, it's a competitive dance team. And they already had tryouts. And so we said, well, can she have a tryout? And they said, sure, bring her in for a tryout. So, so Eliza goes in to have her first ever dance tryout. And as she comes out of the room after that half hour or so tryout, she said, the teacher was staring at me the whole time with her arms crossed. I messed up so many times. I'll be shocked if I ever make it. And she was discouraged. She was sad. She was 
downtrodden, and, and we could actually see it, and she was right, because you get to watch the video of your kids in the room, and so we're watching, and there's the teacher standing like this and just staring right at her the whole time. And sometimes that's how we think about God. We just think, yeah, he's just staring at us, waiting for us to mess up. We've messed up a lot, we know it, and, and so I don't know if I'm really, if I'm really good enough to receive his love. He's not interested in this dance. He's not interested in me. And I think we allow sin and its hold, certainly previously on our lives, to hold sway over our thinking, even adjust the way that we think about our Father. But the problem is, that's not it at all. Paul is saying, no, there's no truth in this. That way of thinking, it's dead. You're not stuck out at sea anymore. Sin is a power that seeks to master you, but you serve a Father who has already masterfully rendered sin powerless. Eliza was confronted with the teacher in the room, but what she didn't see was that the parents were watching the whole time on a video monitor. Katie sent me the footage of it, and so I'm watching. And the truth is, I wasn't standing there with my arms crossed, waiting for her to mess up. I was just a dad, excited to watch my daughter dance. I was just a dad who said, man, what you did was beautiful. And I love you, and I love that you went after it, and I love that you tried, and I, I'm with you, and I was watching you, and I'm for you. And so when she comes out the door, she's not running out to judgment, she's running out to grace. You are under grace, friends, in Christ. God is standing there saying, I just, I just love watching you dance. I just love what you're doing. She made the team. But that didn't matter. What mattered is that I had joy in her regardless of the outcome. And ultimately, the outcome for a team had nothing to do with her identity with me. Friends, the outcome of some of your little battles in life have nothing to do ultimately with your identity in Jesus if you are in faith. You are already free. Sin is dead to you. You are not under law. You are under grace. Stop performing. And the next time sin comes and whispers in your ear, speak back to him and say, shut up. I'm dead to you. You have no power over me. You have nothing to offer me. You have nothing to give me. You have nothing you can bring me. There's no good thing you have that I have not already received. I already know I'm a child of God. I already know I'm loved by the Father. I already know where my security lies. I already know who I am. I am new in Christ. Friends, it's not just the end of a sermon. This is to be practiced over and over and over and over and over and over and over as we say we are dead to sin. So take that from the Lord and walk out the doors with the power of the Spirit that's already alive in you and live for Christ. Live unto Christ for the glory of Christ. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. 
And Father, I first want to pray for anyone here who has not received the good news of the gospel that has been declared today. They know they are under the dominion, the power, the reign of sin. And they've tried, they've tried to have different outcomes, they've tried to live a life independent from you, but they know now through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, that way just leads to chaos and sickness, stuck out at sea, knowing they should be on land. In these moments, give them the courage through your spirit to pray and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. I know that Jesus died once and for all for every sin of humanity so that those who might believe, which means me today, Lord, would find life everlasting through him. Make me new. Recreate your way within me. Change my taste. Bring me into your family. And Father, I pray that if any received Christ through faith even now as they prayed that consciously in their minds that they would communicate it to us on our chat or in this room after we're finished this morning and for all of us who have chosen Christ already Father would we stand in the power of your grace where we can say oh death where's your sting oh sin where's your victory our victory is in Christ in his blood, in his resurrection, we are now dead to sin under your grace. Help us to live in that power this week for your name, for Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond. Let's shout this out together. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.